Hello everyone, my name is John Haeckel and welcome back to the Rebuild SoCal Zone. On today's podcast, we have 7 billion reasons to listen to today's speaker. I'm also joined by Carol Church, who will be my co-host today as we speak to our next guest. Carol is the Director of Operations and Transportation at Rebuild SoCal Partnership. Good morning, John. Good morning, Carol. Hey, how was your drive-in today? Lovely, just lovely. <laughs> how was traffic? I, I, there was some today, not not much. Everyone seemed to be driving safely. I, I was going 100 and getting past. <laughs> so uh, they've slowed it down a bit. No, it, it was good. It was good. Well, good. This episode was pre-recorded on January 13th, 2021. And some of the information, details, and statistics may have changed. Today, uh, we are speaking with the superintendent of the Los Angeles Unified School District, Mr. Austin Butner. Mr. Butner was named superintendent of LAOSD in 2018. Aside from being superintendent, Austin has worked as the first deputy mayor of the city of Los Angeles, a publisher for the Los Angeles Times, LA Unified Advisory Task Force, and so much more. Again, we would spend 30 minutes on, on a really unique profile of our superintendent. But for now, I want to welcome Superintendent Butner to Rebuild SoCal Zone. Thank you, Carol. Thank you, John. Thanks for having me. A lot of good work uh, to be done. Well, Superintendent Butner, I also wanted to add something that was I felt fascinating about your bio was that I had no idea you won two Pulitzer Prizes. Is that? Well, well, I, I individually didn't. Let's let's be clear. But uh, during my tenure as publisher, uh, we won two. The team. I'm proud to be part of it to support their work and. I, I, I'm a big, big believer in making sure we have a strong fourth estate that uh, journalism does so much to make it build a stronger community alongside uh, the hardworking men and women who build the structures uh, that help us make a better community. And uh, that we won two under my tenure. I think that's the first time that's been done in a long, long time. Uh, I'm very proud of. Well, it is something to be proud of. Well, so Superintendent Buechner, again, thank you for joining us. Let's just kind of jump into our conversation today, and let's talk a little bit about Measure RR. Measure RR was the $7 billion school upgrades and safety measure that was passed in November 2020 on the ballot. Um, and this is, and it was approved by what, 71%, I believe, of the votes casted. That's amazing. That, that really tells you the support that was behind this. Well, it speaks volumes. You know, 71% speaks volumes in, in this day and age. It's hard to get 71% of people to agree on chocolate ice cream instead of vanilla. No kidding. You know, I think it gives some sense of the support people in the Los Angeles area have, not only for schools, but for the hardworking men and women, the great work that has been done. What we're doing is extending a program that's been quite successful. And what we've been able to do over the past several years in terms of building new campuses, more than 100 of them, upgrading a technology infrastructure, making sure the roofs don't have leaks, upgrading air filtration systems as we're doing now in the middle of COVID. And all that is so important because we want to make sure each of our students goes to school every day in a world-class facility. And this is the community coming together to support the community and the great work that's done. Gosh, I don't know, several hundred thousand jobs created already, several hundred thousand more to come of people whose children go to the same school. So it's the community coming together uh, to do good together. And I think 71% speaks volumes 
about the success we've been having because the voters can see it. They can see it in their neighborhood school. Their, their child may or may not attend that neighborhood school. They may be a little bit older. Uh, but when they can start to see the results of this effort, we can all take pride in it. And uh, I'm delighted that voters overwhelmingly supported our efforts. Well, and truly agreed upon, I mean, what you've done in the past and, you know, making sure that the money is well spent and the projects are going in place is making a difference in the community. But let me ask you also, what does Measure RR mean for the faculty and your students aside from what's being built? It means a lot for, for everybody. It means for that children go to a school that is safe. In today's world, that means a lot, right? We were able to upgrade because of the resources from this effort. We were able to upgrade the air filtration systems in more than 80 million square feet of buildings to keep them COVID safe. It means children will be in a science lab that's state of the art. It means a teacher is going to a classroom uh, that is well lit uh, and safe. Uh, so it, it for all who are in schools, it means the place they are is well equipped and safe uh, in a modern teaching environment where they can do their best work. Uh, so this also, this effort had the unanimous support of all of our labor partners, uh, not just those who helped build the infrastructure, but those who use it every day. And uh, again, it's the community coming together to support the students that we all serve. Absolutely. And, you know, as I was reading about the uh, priorities and allocation of the funds, one of the things that I also saw, I mean, it, it was simply as even just providing clean and safe water. I mean, it was down to the, you know, making sure that the students are safe all the way around, you know, as well as the faculty. So, yeah, that's, you know, one of the things that sometimes doesn't get the attention or the public conversation is not sufficient. I'm glad we're having this one is you know, a, a school is a living, breathing organism, not just the children and, and those who work in the school, but the infrastructure they use. We all live in an apartment or a home and things break, things need to be fixed, things need to be maintained and made better. And we have a couple more than 1,400 schools and that becomes an enormous task. And the ability to continue to do the work in a planned and measured way, uh, looking at where the needs and priorities are. So this will allow us to continue to look to the horizon, which is the best way to plan. Uh, that helps us make sure our dollars go further. It helps us make sure that uh, a structure we might build or how we upgrade it is going to be best suited for not only learning of today, but of tomorrow. Uh, so the ability to look to the horizon, which this additional funding does, uh, will continue to serve all of our students and those in schools for a long, long time to come. I think that's great because this isn't just about deferred maintenance. We're really projecting for the future and creating something you know, for further generations. And, and I think that, that it's time to look ahead and not just kind of keep you know, we can talk a lot about that in transportation too, you know, where we're always like, you're going back and you're, you know, fixing infrastructure that should have already been maintained. Yeah, no, no. It, it is so important to look ahead. We we know this, we see it most acutely in a crisis like the one we're in the middle of now because of COVID, where uh, the example I tried to use for my staff is think of a of a toddler. They bump into things when they're learning to walk because they're so enamored with their feet on the ground and they think that's where walking comes from. And as for a toddler, it does. But watch an elite marathoner run and they, they glide across the ground and they're looking 10, 20, 100 yards ahead. And this type of work, we need to look 10, 20, 100 yards ahead to make sure that what we're doing will stand the test of time, not only physically, but in how it's used. Uh, and I'm delighted the voters have given us this extension of time to continue to do this work. Um, 
because even what becomes deferred maintenance shouldn't be deferred in the first place, right? If we're able to keep infrastructure current, uh, we get much more use out of it. If we're able to think more holistically about where to put a baseball field, uh, where a science lab might be used or shared, uh, we're able to make the dollars go further. We spend them better. We're more cost-effective in the work we do. Uh, and the students and all in schools benefit from them for a much, much longer period of time. I couldn't agree more. I mean, it really just talk about, you know, what you're doing and projecting for the future and the trust that comes from the voters to vote at that level. So congratulations. And we're all happy about that. With $7 billion, though, you know, that's a lot of money. Can you talk a little bit about, you know, your accountability, the, the bond measure and, and what that has for the safety for the citizens of L.A. County? Yeah, you know, I, I think I think of the accountability both uh, sort of in the grassroots where the work's done and from the district standpoint. I'll take the district standpoint first. We have an oversight committee consisting of appointed members of the community to make sure they ask good questions, hard questions. Uh, we give them tons and tons of information to make sure that there's an objective set of eyes helping us look to that horizon to make sure the money's well spent. All the work is done in open bidding processes. And again, I think having had a program like this now for many years without a scandal, uh, without any issues of money not being used well, uh, builds a foundation for continued success. Uh, And the other part of the accountability is the hardworking women and men who do the work each and every day, because we know the pride they bring to their work, the quality they bring to their work means it will be done well. So done well as a system to plan, to make sure we budget appropriately and every dollar is accounted for well, but also done well where the work is done. Uh, I had the privilege uh, uh, last year when we were still physically in schools to work alongside uh, various members of the building trades uh, to help hang a door, uh, to look at how uh, floor tiles might be done differently or relayed uh, to fix an electrical outlet issue and to plaster a wall. Uh, And I might add, by the way, they had me plaster wall inside a closet. So that gives you some sense of the confidence they had in my skills. But, but when you see the pride the women and men bring to their work, you know, and, and that's probably the most important thing ultimately for taxpayers is to know the people doing the work, bring their pride, bring their commitment to do their best every day. Uh, and that's what will stand the test of time. It's great work being done. And the district itself has set up processes to make sure that when we commission new projects and things like that, that we have the best set of eyes looking at it. I couldn't agree with you more. And, and I, I'm going to add to that that we had the opportunity to actually go out to uh, finalize one of the high schools and to see the, I believe it was in Maywood, that we had the opportunity to go out and see the final construction of that high school. And we filmed a video for the construction trades and really looking at the people who are building infrastructure in LA, a unified school district. And to see the pride of a director that was newly there for the first time as a woman, and she was in charge of, she had her own department that she was handling. I'll, I'll share it with you, but the, the video is amazing. And what she says on the video is speaks pride for LAUSD and, and the work that she was doing there with her team. Yeah, no, and you know we're fortunate to have such a close working relationship with our labor partners on this. The training the labor partners bring the standards uh, and the pride in the work is reflected in what our students see every day when they go to school. You know, Superintendent, we had chatted prior to starting this podcast, but I did have the opportunity to uh, sit on the LAUSD Oversight Committee for 10 years. And one of the things that uh, was brought to our attention is 
the number of graduating LAUSD seniors who then went into the trades and, and what that has done for their lives. It wasn't a job anymore. It was a career. And what they would say to us after a couple of years in the business on how proud they were at the end of the day to turn around and look what they've built. And they did look at um, all of the opportunities that they had, but they did look at the unions as one way of looking at their career, um, having things that their parents didn't have, a steady job, a retirement program. So they were very pleased that the opportunities that the LAUSD opened up to the unions uh, many of them walk through and are now very, very successful in their own crafts. Yeah, it's, it is a community all coming together. We had great support uh, to continue a program. We have people well-trained, uh, many of whom, as you said, are our graduates uh, doing great work. I, I think over the next uh, coming years, we will generate another 250,000 or so jobs good paying jobs uh, and the ability to continue to do that knowing that many of them will be children who grow up in our own school system and that we give this opportunity to or help provide the foundation for the opportunity is terrific and, and it's a, a virtuous cycle i think that will keep repeating itself over time and i'm pleased again we've worked on so hard together with our labor partners you know some really foundation pieces is pay people well, treat them with care, make sure they've got appropriate benefits, uh, and that gets reflected in better lives for those who do the work, of course, but also better work. Uh, they take pride in their work, and so the pieces have come together so so well. And I appreciate John your original service as part of the original oversight to make sure that this got started in the right direction. I think we've continued to go in that direction since. The folks, again, that I talk to look at LUC as a great client. That isn't always the case in the construction industry, but they look at you folks through your facilities as really a team trying to make the product right, trying to price it right, trying to build it right. And that only comes from a standard that you all have set years ago that uh, we're building it for the kids and let's be together as we build for the future. So I applaud you folks. Well, thank you. You know, we've got a very good team. I'm proud of the work they do. Uh, and I think the way you framed it is right, which is we try to be transparent. We try to be a good partner. We want to set clear standards for how the work should be done. And when you do all those things up front, everyone understands this is about doing good work that the community will benefit from for many, many uh, years to come. I think that Everybody comes to the table recognizing that's what we're about. You know, we're not trying to uh, cut corners. We've never allowed that to happen. We're not looking at something, you know, sometimes work is done in the construction fields where someone's looking for a quick buck, things like that. That's not what we're about. We're about doing good for students and the communities we serve over the long haul. And I'm, I'm delighted to see our team bring that leadership to the table. I'm delighted to see all of the partners, our construction partners, our labor partners come to the table with that same attitude. Wonderful. I just wanted to just say, though, you know, as we talk about the $7 billion that's been approved through Measure RR, that's just a, like kind of a drop in the bucket when we really look at what still needs to be done. I mean, we were looking at, I think, when I was reading some of the stats, $50 billion still of work that needs to be done. How do you envision the work that needs to be done? And how would you take a look at allocating different projects? 
Yeah, two parts, uh, Carol, I think the response, you're right. It's, it's important that any listener understand this is something we need to continue to do. And when we went to voters this past fall, we said, we're not going to ask you to pay any more. That wouldn't be appropriate, but we're going to live within how our current program is funded and let's keep it going. Uh, and I think we'll need to keep it going. So two years, five years, eight years down the road, we may we need to go back to voters and ask to continue the program, but we're not going to ask them for more. That's the first principle because this continues, right? These schools are living, breathing organisms, uh, needs changed, infrastructure needs to be replaced or upgraded or maintained. So I see the need continuing. Now, as we think about the $7 billion, we will spend on average between about a billion or two a year. Uh, some it's, it's lumpy because it could be a new school facility totally uh, from scratch, that might be $150, $175 million. Mm-hmm. A series of smaller projects, roofs, and other things are, are much smaller. We might do a number of those in a year. So if you think of that as an average amount, uh, four or five years down the road, we need to keep doing this. And as we pay off the old bonds, we replace them with new bonds. Uh, and I think this work will continue for the foreseeable future because we have great needs. Uh, and 80 million square feet, we are far and away the largest landlord uh, in the Los Angeles area, probably in the state of California. Uh, And we need to make sure it's maintained, kept safe, updated, appropriate, uh, a new infrastructure built where necessary. So the need continues. And my hope is as long as we continue to do it wisely, to do it sensibly, uh, that the communities we serve can see the benefit for students uh, and those who work in schools and the jobs we create for the community, Uh, that in years to come, voters will continue to support it like they did in November. Wow, that's great. It's great news, actually, for everybody. And the the vision that the directors and the leadership in LAUSD is is providing for that and can have that foresight to see what needs to come ahead. So thank you for that. And all of our students probably thank you as well. We're going to move on to the second topic here, and we might even go back to the first topic, but let's talk a little bit about the future of LAUSD. As we've been talking about specifically Measure RR, there was something that I read on the website that I thought was phenomenal, and I don't know how many people really know about this or what the public knows about this, but could you talk about LAUSD's primary promise? Yeah, I'd be delighted to. We we have committed to a goal to make sure every student receives, learns, earns the foundation of knowledge they can get in in elementary school, which is a foundation in literacy, math, and critical thinking skills. And if we're able to have success with this, which is redoubling our efforts for earliest learners, and the old adage has never been more true, learn to read and then you will read to learn for the rest of your life. And so if we can build that foundation in math, literacy, and critical thinking skills early, so many more doors open for our students. So we have recommitted ourselves to this $100 million investment, the largest commitment we've ever made uh, to early learning to make sure our students get off to the best possible start. Our board approved this uh, late last year. We've actually just begun to implement it now. And what you'll see, for example, is more direct reading instruction in the classroom. We might have had one teacher and 20 students before in a second grade. Well, now there's a second teacher in the classroom who can help the two or three students who might not be on track with the reading while the other teacher continues to work with the other 16, 17, 18, things like that. You'll see emphasis on math skills, which build the foundation for so much of higher math down the road. Uh, and you'll see continued work on critical thinking in all aspects. And 
This is a big commitment of ours, and it goes alongside the second major strategic initiative, which is a community approach. Uh, Los Angeles Unified, is, as both of you know, most of your listeners know, uh, we serve almost 700,000 students across a diverse set of communities spread across 700 square miles. Uh, and one size does not fit all. But for too much of its history, Los Angeles Unified has tried to find the one answer for all. And sometimes a sort of a top-down bureaucracy has developed. And I, I think the answer is actually in the classroom, in the school, in the community. So we've helped build local leadership in 42 communities we serve, provided them autonomy and funding, autonomy and decision-making, and a closer and better connection to the community they serve. And we're seeing great dividends already. It's easier for a family to have a problem addressed because the local leadership is right there. Uh, we have common planning between teachers and local schools. So the elementary and middle school are planning together because the students who were in elementary school this year will be in middle school next year. We have the community easier to engage around projects or support because it's their local schools. So these two initiatives side by side, the primary promise to build that foundation early in our earliest learners together with a renewed approach to bringing the community into our schools, giving teachers, giving local community members more voice in their schools, we think is going to pay great dividends. Well, and it really sounds like a partnership. It really sounds like the community feels like they're going to have a partnership with, with their schools, their teachers, their, you know, those that are in their neighborhood and in their communities and not feel isolated. They won't feel isolated. And also it allows the educators in our schools to best address the unique needs of the community, the students in the community they serve. Because 700 square miles, the needs are different. Students are different. Families are different. The geography is different. So if we're better able to give more voice to those in a classroom, to those locally in a school, to the families we serve or the community partners, local elected officials, community organizations who help work and support schools, uh, we've been at this now for about a year, year and a half in this community approach. Uh, and we're seeing great, great, great dividends. Uh, everything from our community leaders holding town halls, which are very well attended, to talk about issues in that community, to the response we're able to provide even in a crisis like COVID because we're organized around the community. We have been the organization that served more than 95 million meals to people in need, children and adults. We've helped make sure more than half a million students have the computer they need to stay connected, as well as internet access which we provide for free if the family otherwise can't access it, uh, to continue to be part of their school community, stay online. We're providing free COVID testing uh, to students, families, and any of the household members uh, in each of these 42 communities. And hopefully we'll be part of the vaccination team to make sure that our community stays safe as vaccines are uh, made available to the school community. So this community approach, if you think of a school and how it was founded, it was located, going back to our infrastructure exercise, Locations were picked because it's the middle of where people live. That's by design. A school is in the middle of where people live. And so the ability to bring the community back in and think of schools as the foundation of their community, which they are, is bearing great dividends today. And we think in the future is going to allow us to do much, much more for students in each local community. Well, I mean, remarkably said, and I couldn't agree more. One of the reasons I wanted to talk about the primary promise is because one of the things that I read and I heard and I, it stuck with me is the idea behind it was to pre preventing failure before it happens. That's you're trying to get out in front. And that stuck with me. It really stuck with me. Oh, it's sometimes simple makes sense, doesn't it? it it's, uh, 
I and, love you know the work in middle school and high school to try to help students catch up. We're, we're committed to that. That's that's hard work, uh, not always at the level of success we'd like. But if we can go to root cause and say, you know what, if we can make sure that every child is proficient by third grade, wow, think of the doors we're going to open. And uh, so sometimes what is not so simple to do necessarily, uh, simple to identify a root cause. And so this is our big, big, big commitment, as you said, to prevent failure before it happens and give every child that foundation. And when you are a young learner, a young reader, and a proficient reader at a young age, everything you're exposed to thereafter, you'll get so much more from. So this is an investment we think will uh, pay off in the long term for all our students. Yeah, it's the building blocks. It's what they're going to build upon and how they're going to you know, create their future and you know, be better community members as well and bring back to the community what they got. So yep, yep. it's remarkable. Well, let's, let's, we're going to move on probably to the last question here and let's talk a little bit about COVID-19. I know you've got testing programs in place. You were probably the first to step out to really make sure these things happened in your uh, school district and you've done it remarkably well not only for the students, but faculty and family, like you spoke about earlier. There is also a plan from the governor, the California Safe Schools for All plan. What do you think it's going to take for your district to reopen those campuses safely? You know, that's a, that's a great question. And what we've tried to do is, you know, rise to the occasion. Where we see a need, we try to address it. So in addition to providing instruction, the best possible online instruction we can, we know for many students the best learning happens in a classroom at school. So our goal remains to have students back in classrooms as soon as possible, as safe as possible. And throughout this crisis, we've had to juggle both of those sometimes conflicting set of goals, student learning and making sure everybody is safe. And so we have, where possible, made sure we do the best on both, Uh, not always perfect, but the best on both. And as we look forward, we think there are a series of principles that need to be put in place primarily at the state level to make sure that we can safely reopen schools. And as most of your listeners will know, almost all the funding in schools comes from Sacramento, almost uh, from the state. Almost all of the rules about how schools operate come from the state. So our, our principles, maybe a half dozen or so. The first is we think the state and local authorities need an all hands on deck effort to drive down the levels of COVID in high needs communities. Uh, This is a disease, unfortunately, that is preying upon the low-income communities of color, which we serve. Uh, We, through our testing at schools, have seen the disparity. We're testing children, children who tell us they have no symptoms, children whose families tell us they haven't been exposed to any of the virus. And in some communities, we see as many as one in three children who don't have symptoms testing positive for the virus. In other communities, it's one in 25. That disparity is heartbreaking, and we think the state has to lead an effort to address that. The second is any plan has to make sure that all schools receive funding to reopen because it will take more monies. Uh, We can go through the list of things, everything from the cleaning and the sanitizing uh, to the testing, ultimately to supporting vaccinations, things like that. Uh, All schools, not just those that can open, because the only schools that can open right now are those in communities which have lower COVID, and we can't control that. Uh, and obviously, it would be not safe or nowhere near safe in Los Angeles to consider bringing children back. I think public health authorities even recently said there shouldn't be any children in schools. The next piece is we think there needs to be a clear state standard for what is COVID safe at a school. California 
tells us the minimum physical size of an elementary school classroom. They set rules for how a school nurse could be credentialed. Uh, there are other rules which make sure that teenagers don't go to tanning salons. So California is very prescriptive, has amongst the highest set of standards uh, for schools and children of any uh, state in the nation, an education code, which is more than 3,500 pages. And we think a clear and consistent standard is necessary so that we can work alongside the state to let people know it's going to be safe. And if you have this patchwork of standards throughout the state, one school district open, another not open, local individuals uh, deciding whether or not they think it's appropriate, when this is something, a clear and consistent standard we think will lead to all in a school community being kept safe uh, and all schools being able to open. And then the last piece is we need to look ahead and make sure that the resources are there for what's going to need to take place when we are able to bring students back, which is additional learning to help not only recover lost learning opportunities, but accelerate the pace of progress from there uh, to provide the social, emotional, mental health support for children, families. Uh, we did a survey of families uh, just a couple of months ago that we serve, and more than three quarters of them said someone in the family had lost work due to COVID. Now, 80% of the families we served before the pandemic were struggling to get by, living in poverty. If three quarters of those families have had someone lose work, it's gotten harder. The struggle has gotten even more difficult. And that trauma connected to the children in the household. It might be someone in the household having lost work. It could be someone, because of the disproportionate impact, having become sick or, God forbid, something worse due to COVID. So we need to make sure that the funding and the resources from the state are there when we bring children back to help them rebuild the foundation and learning, to add enrichment, bring you know enthusiasm, excitement to their lives, uh, and to help from a mental health standpoint to make sure they are well and we help them process just how difficult this past 10 months have been and our centerpiece of the conversation we've been having with uh, leaders in Sacramento is we need to learn and listen to what's happening in our classrooms. And that should inform policy and action and budget steps in Sacramento. You know, listen to what's happening in classrooms, listen to what's happening in schools and learn. Let's all learn together from the past 10 months so the next 10 months can be made better for the entire school community. Wow. That's amazing. Superintendent, as we close this podcast, I think from our group here, and I'm sure our listeners, your insight on the wide variety of issues that we've discussed today, me and I'm sure to those folks that will be listening, has been extremely informative. I can't thank you enough for joining us as one of our first guests in this new year. It has been really a highlight of our new podcast year, and we thank you. Well, thank you, Carol and John. We appreciate your being a voice for the community and, and taking the time to have a thoughtful conversation. So much of the work we do, others try to distill down to a soundbite, and it's too important. The children are too important. The role of public education in the communities we serve is too important, and we appreciate your willingness to have a real conversation about it. Thank you so much. Thank you very much. It was really engaging and insightful. And, and I learned so much in preparing for this podcast, really about LAUSD and your background and your vision. So I really appreciate you and your staff it was amazing. And they helped us out so much to make sure we were getting the right message out that we wanted to talk about. So thank Good. you. Well, thank you both. Carol, I'd love to know your thoughts on what 
just transpired the past 35 minutes? Well, I have to first kind of say, I don't know when the man sleeps. <laughs> um, the superintendent is so involved. And you know what it is? I've really felt such a genuine, like caring for the students, the faculty, and what he's doing uh, for LAUSD. Also, in researching for this podcast and kind of finding out some background information, I was a learning experience for me. And he just kind of brought it to life in the last 35 minutes. What I thought I knew, he just told me 100% more than what I was reading and what I could find online, which is exactly why we wanted him on here is we wanted to have his heart more into it than just, you know, let's just get the stats and the this and the that. And this is really why I, I think he did such a great job just because he was truthful and honest and you could tell he really cares. That was my take from the last 35 minutes. Aside from the construction that's coming out and what that's going to mean for our industry, but $2 billion, 210 projects that are going to be coming out. We've got $3.3 billion in pre-construction right now. There's a lot going on, and it's going to keep our essential workers working. <laughs> and I cannot agree with you more. If you look and go in on the profile of this person, what he's been able to accomplish, all of those skills now, he is running you know, one of the second largest school district in the country. Mm -hmm. uh, he is really a multifaceted human being and be able to use all of his skills for the betterment of children. You can't say anything more about the man. Like you said, Carol, he cares. And I think that is the overarching reason why people like him, why the voters believed in him, why 71% of the folks voted for it and why we will continue to make sure that our schools are top-notch and the children get the best learning they could possibly get. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I mean, it, it really was. You know, we've done our, our little work with LAUSD in terms of promoting workforce development and trying to understand how students can access the apprenticeship training programs, because not every student is going to go to college. You know, I know that the objective of any school is to produce a college graduate or produce a high school graduate that's going to go to college. But let's be realistic. That's not the truth necessarily, but it's a goal. And I understand that. But, you know, you and I both know we've got other places for those students to go that can have a career. And so we'll continue the conversation with LAUSD and we'll continue to, you know, talk about opportunities. And let me just maybe end on my part, being that we have had and will continue in 2021 to have an open dialogue with the facilities department at the school district will allow us during this year to again, sit down with those folks and us and really assist in the goals of making sure that they take care of whatever campus needs to be rebuilt or built. And the partnership Rebuild are thrilled to be part of this unique family. Thank you very much, Carol, for taking part in this podcast. I really appreciate your insight into asking these very penetrating questions. I think that it was well thought through. I think the superintendent did a remarkable job of answering them. And I think the listeners will find this 35 minutes to be exciting and informative. John, it was my pleasure. I enjoyed preparing for this and, and learning a lot more because I think it's more than just construction when we talk about this. And I understand that there's a lot of work and a lot of projects that are happening, but it is more on the caring of what you feel from your heart. And I think that's what Austin Buechner brought to this podcast, which may have not always been, you know, able to be elevated to that level, you know? So I appreciate the honesty and the opportunity to be here to listen and to engage. Thank you again. Thank you. Tune in again next month, where we will speak with another great guest from our industry. 
Make sure to subscribe and follow the podcast on all of your platforms so you'll never miss an exciting episode.